the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And I'm on the air. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer. We are The Answer, and you can reach us at drbillradiomd.com, 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning, Eastern Standard Time. Click Listen Live, and you got me, as long as you have a headset or speakers on your computer. Or you can get us on the airwaves, and we're riding those airwaves, surfing them right into your ears every Sunday morning. And that is at AM860, The Answer. And then we also have our FM station. What's that call letter? You want the frequency? They're all the answer. Just call the, them all the, the answer. But they're The frequency the, is what? 93.7 FM. 93.7. Tampa, right. Clearwater, and St. Petersburg. All the answer. And you are on all of them. Doc, good morning. All right. And you know what? I did not know this, but I guess Joe kind of sneaks my show on here and there at off hours because somebody said they heard my show at midnight. Really? One night. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't know you were getting a replay, but congratulations. Yeah. I mean, well, don't tell Barb. Oh, my God. She'll start char- charging me more money. <laughs> so what, at any rate. What are we talking about today, Doc? Today, I'm going to, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about strokes. I've had three people come in last week with a, a stroke. A stroke is is uh, either a bleed into the brain or a lack of oxygen from a blood vessel in the the brain. That's probably the simplest way to put it. And I want to talk about this because there are risk factors, and and it's uh, the silent disease. You don't know you're going to have a stroke most of the time until you have one. So we had a guy come in. He had a little mini stroke in his eye, and I think I talked about that before. Had another lady come in, and she had had some weird events and feeling a little dizzy and out of it. And she ended up having a little little stroke with a little bleed into her brain and her frontal lobe, which is the part that's right on, on your, uh, on your bossy forehead there. And then another lady I saw as a consult who had a stroke in the parietal lobe, which is right around your, your ears, right just above your ears. And they all had atypical symptoms. Now, uh, you can have visual disturbance, you can have motor function problems where you lose the function of of an arm or a leg or a whole side of your body. You can have sensory changes where you have numbness and tingling. Uh, You can have mental changes. You can have dizziness. You can have all kinds of different things. Anything that you can think of that can go wrong with the body, with a stroke, it can go wrong. So the difference between a bloody stroke and a non-bloody stroke in the simplest of terms is that if you have a stroke where there is bleeding into the brain, we call that hemorrhagic, hemorrhage meaning to bleed. And uh, if you have a a stroke where there's a blood vessel that's blocked off either from a local event, like the vessel got real thick and clotted off, or a distant event where a piece of clot came from your heart or your neck arteries or your aorta and sailed into your brain and got lodged in a small vessel. Those are called ischemic. That means lack of blood flow. And so the brain, like any tissue, has to have oxygen and sugar and nutrients, and that's what the arteries bring 
to the brain tissue, to all the tissues, and then the veins carry that blood back after it's been depleted of oxygen and nutrients by the, by the little cells in the brain or in the body or wherever. And so if you don't have this, if you don't have oxygen, if you don't have food, then these cells will die. <clears throat> so what happens is that you get, most frequently, you get a little blood vessel blocked off or you have a, a little piece of clot fly from your heart, uh, people with atrial fibrillation, which is an abnormal heart rhythm, or from their neck or their aorta where plaque can build up from cholesterol and other problems. And people come in and they're, they're upset and they say, oh my God, I've had a stroke. Oh no. And you know, they're, they're scared. They're, they're worried. They're wondering, am I going to die? Well, you're going to die, but not today. And so they want to know, how did this happen? I don't have high blood pressure. I don't have high cholesterol. I don't have diabetes. I don't have gout. I don't have autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. What caused this? Well, basically you probably have most of the time blood pressure that's gone undiagnosed, high blood pressure and or cholesterol. And people say, well, my total cholesterol is good. Yeah, but the, the protective fraction, the high density lipoprotein, which is the HDL, I see this is low oftentimes in people who have vascular events like strokes or heart attacks. So when you go in and get your cholesterol checked, you want to make sure that the doctor tells you what your HDL is, not just your total cholesterol and your LDL. LDL is the one that we treat with the statins, and that is the one that we focused on. But there are other fractions in the cholesterol molecule. It's basically just a big glob of fat, microscopically a big glob of fat. And it has different fractions in it. And the high density is protective because the high density lipoproteins will dissolve the low density lipoproteins. I know it doesn't make any sense, but you just got to go along with me on this. And it'll bring them back to the liver where they can be processed out and excreted in the bile. <clears throat> so there's more to it than just, oh, my blood pressure was 130 over 80 when I was at the doctor's last time or when I went to the uh, grocery store and checked it on their machine. You got to know your pressure all day long, all night long, and it goes up and down. It, that's just normal. Now, if it goes way up and then comes way down and way up and way down, then you got high blood pressure and it needs to be treated. So if it's bouncing, you need to get it treated. The new normal for the average adult is 130 over 80. Above that, we call it prehypertension. And then 140 over 90 is high blood pressure or hypertension. And that's probably the number one risk factor for strokes, along with things like smoking, of course and heart attacks, and then cholesterol. Now, make sure that when you get your cholesterol checked by your doctor that you get the whole picture. You want to know what your low density and proteins are. Because if your HDL is low, you're at increased risk. And I see this. I see people come in, and they have relatively normal total cholesterol. The HDL is low. And so they can't dissolve the fat when it gets deposited on their blood vessels and bring it back to the liver to be processed out. It's just a big chemical factory, and it needs to be manipulated. And there are things that we can do. Of course, you need to quit smoking, keep your drinking to a minimum, uh, have all the sex you can. No, wait a minute. Never mind about that. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Make sure that you have uh, a good support system and that you're checking your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your heart, your heart rate, uh, your blood sugar, your uric acid level needs to be checked if there's a family history of gout 
and you may need to be on medicine for that. Autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, and prevention is the cure here. Prevention is the is the best medicine. So make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And all of these people I saw, they said, I don't have high blood pressure. Yeah, you do. I don't have high cholesterol. No, you have low HDL, which is a form of cholesterol problem. And I don't have diabetes. I don't have this. I don't have that. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. So get that checked out. And that's my little medical sermonette this morning. Well, the president has responded to the uh, indictment against him, the articles of impeachment. And he also has been tweeting away. And I wanted to tell you what his response was. It's pretty simple. Um, his attorneys uh, for his lead counsel is Jay Seculo. And Jay is, I believe, on our station. I think he has a show in the afternoon that they air. And he also has Pat Cipollone, who's counsel to the president of the White House. <clears throat> and his his rebuttal to their impeachment is that the first article of impeachment fails on its face. I'm quoting from the uh, from the document he sent over to the Senate uh, to state an impeachable offense. And the Constitution says there has to be a high crime or misdemeanor. And the House has presented no crime. They they are not alleging that a crime uh, has has been uh, committed and adjudicated. They're saying that. They think that the president has used his power uh, illegally and that that should be a crime. So it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a legal nuance, but it goes on to say it alleges no crime at all, let alone high crimes and misdemeanors, which is what's required by the Constitution. In fact, it alleges no violation of law whatsoever. House Democrats' abuse of power claim would do lasting damage to the separation of powers under the Constitution because... According to the president's lawyers, this attempt by the Democrats uh, would be a usurpation of the executive branch's power under the Constitution. That the president has the power, as I've been saying all along, to conduct foreign affairs, and he can say what he wants to whoever he wants as long as it's done on behalf of the United States of America, the people of America. It goes on to say that the first article also fails on the facts because President Trump has not in any way abused the powers of the presidency, despite what the Democrats are telling us. At all times, the president has faithfully and effectively executed the duties of his office on behalf of the American people. Now, they're trying to say the Democrats that the president said, I want you to do me a favor in the phone conversation with the president of the Ukraine back in July. And that's not what he said. He said, I want you to do us, we states a favor. So he used the the uh, plural, and that includes you and me. So the president's actions on July 25th, 2019 telephone call with President Zelensky of the Ukraine, as well as on the earlier April 21st telephone call and all events were constitutional, perfectly legal, completely appropriate, and taken in furtherance of our national interests, which is what I've been saying. Okay, so Everybody's caught up with me finally. How do you like that, Ken? Huh? <laughs> so it takes them a while, but they'll get there. Well, they're President not up Trump, early on Sunday. That's the problem. They sleep too late on not Sunday. Up, well, somebody's listening to me. I know that. I know that somebody's listening because too much of my stuff ends up on the national news a week or two later. <laughs> so President Trump raised the important issue of burden sharing in the twenty fifth, July twenty fifth call. 
noting that other European countries such as Germany were not carrying their fair share when it came to NATO and defense of the European Union and the Europeans. And uh, Trump also raised the important issue of Ukrainian corruption, which President Zelensky acknowledged and that said that they were concerns. And remember, Zelensky, as you know from my previous shows, because everybody listens so diligently, as you know, the uh, the previous uh, election where Zelensky became the president was on the basis of stopping corruption. So the second article of impeachment, uh, secondly, President Zelensky and other Ukrainian officials have repeatedly confirmed, I'm not sorry, I'm sorry, not the second article, the second argument on the first article of impeachment, that they have repeatedly confirmed that the call was a good and normal call and that there was no quid pro quo and that no one pressured them on anything. The president did not pressure the Ukrainians or the Ukrainian officials in any way whatsoever to give him information that would interfere with the 2020 election. It was a look back at 2016, which everybody wants to forget. Well, guess what? That's where the interference was. That's what he was elected to investigate, and that's what he's doing. As well, the two individuals who stated for the record that they spoke with the president about the uh, subject were actually exonerated him. Ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, who I talked about a few weeks ago, stated that when he asked the president what he wanted from the Ukraine, the president said, I don't want anything. I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. And then Senator Ron Johnson reported that when he asked the president whether there was any connection between a security assistance that is money for arms to fight the Russians and investigations. The president responded, no way. I would never do that. And both of these people, their testimony was not called for or it was uh, ignored by the Democrats. Now, finally, uh, Jay Sekulow argues that the bilateral presidential meeting took place between Zelensky and Trump and the ordinary course of business and the security assistance was sent. So no harm, no foul. So if you say at the beginning of a conversation, well, we're, we're going to have to see some progress in your, uh, your security and in your corruption before we'll send you the money. And then later on, and he says, by the way, uh, while you're looking into the corruption, could you do us, we, the people of the United States, a favor and look into this whole uh, 2016 election thing and see whether or not Hunter Biden was involved in any way and whether or not the Democrats were utilizing uh, – Ukrainian companies to hack emails and, and do, do other dirty deeds and set me up and set up the president and the government of the United States. And so the Ukrainians, they never were forced to do any of this. And the president never withheld any aid. And everything went on as usual. And Mr. Schiff created a fraudulent version of this July 25th call to the American people at the congressional hearing without disclosing that he was simply making it all up. So they're just making things up as they go along. And as Nancy Pelosi said, the stain of impeachment can never be lifted. Well, you know what? <laughs> this, the uh, Chief Justice Roberts, if he decides that there's nothing there, he can throw the whole thing out and there can be no trial. And so there'll be no impeachment. He can say that this was unconstitutional, that there's no grounds for impeachment, and I throw the whole thing out. Will he do that? I don't know. It's politically pretty charged, but he has that uh, ability. And so the first article, according to Jay Sekulow, 
is uh, constitutionally invalid, founded on falsehoods, and must be rejected. And so he's going right to the heart of the matter and saying, this is BS, get rid of it. The second article, this was Jay again, Seculo, also fails on its face to state an impeachable offense. It does not allege any crime or violation of law whatsoever. To the contrary, the president's assertion of legitimate executive branch confidentiality interests grounded in the separation of power cannot constitute obstruction of Congress. In other words, Congress can't demand that the president deliver confidential information that the executive branch has in its uh, possession and has power over, uh, they cannot demand that that be delivered. And the Supreme Court has upheld this several times. Furthermore, the notion that President Trump obstructed justice or Congress is absurd. President Trump acted with extraordinary and unprecedented transparency by declassifying and releasing the, tra the transcript of the July 25th call that is at the heart of the matter. So where is the obstruction? And that's what Jay Sekulow is saying. So they, are, they issued their subpoenas without a congressional vote and therefore without constitutional authority. That is the Democrats in the House. They sought testimony from a number of the president's closest advisors, despite the fact that under longstanding bipartisan practice of prior administrations of both political parties and longstanding guidance from the Department of Justice, those advisors are absolutely immune from compelled testimony to Congress. <clears throat> so we see the whole thing is... Uh, a sham, and they know it. And Nancy Pelosi essentially said that on one of the uh, liberal talk shows, late night talk shows, a couple of nights ago. She said, it doesn't matter what happens. We've already stained him. He now has that red stain of impeachment stamped on his forehead forever. The big eye. I think that's how you spell impeachment, isn't it? Or is it an E? No, I think something. It's an I think I. it's I. It's an yeah, I, yeah. I. <laughs> It's an I, Doc. <laughs> So listen, this is all a bunch of BS. And uh, not surprisingly, it is in concert with the new uh, China trade deal, which has recently passed. And of course, there's immediately criticism of it. Uh, the uh, criticism is coming from all sides. The uh, trade deal, according to Reuters investigation, uh, by, let me let me give you the name of the Reuters reporter who, who did this. Uh, Andrea Shalal and Kate Cadell. Let me see. Andrea Shalal and Kate Cadell. I'm wondering if these are women. I'm wondering if they're liberal. I'm wondering if they're if Shalal is a Muslim name. It may not be. It may be, uh, you know, a Christian name from the Middle East. At any rate, <clears throat> they have this article from January 16th, a few days ago, that the trade deal the president made is no panacea for rocky U.S. relations with China. Well, first of all, we're not at war with China, so I don't know what they're talking about. But they say that from, from Huawei, the big telecom company that the president has put the quiet is on because uh, they're apparently using their technology to, to spy on us, to the South China Sea, which China not just the communists, but this goes way back to antiquity. They claim that that's theirs, that they have uh, control of that. And, of course, all the countries around there, which we talked about last year, say, wait a minute. <laughs> no, you don't. That's, that belongs to all of us, and which sees about half of the world's shipping 
trade shipping, commercial shipping go through there. And if they had control of that, they would be able to start charging uh, tariffs to go through there and, and exert military influence over it. And they're, they're trying to do that. Uh, so that is a dispute, but it's not new. Uh, and the uh, the tiff over Taiwan, which has been around for decades, the Taiwanese, they want to be independent. China says, no, it's a province, and they want them to uh, be reunited. And the United States says, no, they're an independent country. Uh, they won their freedom in the civil war that you had in the 1940s, where the communists took over. And so Reuters Reporters claim that the relationship between the world's two largest economies have deteriorated sharply since U.S. President Donald Trump imposed punitive tariffs in 2018, igniting a trade war. Um, the trade war that was supposed to cause a worldwide recession, and yet we're still growing faster than we ever have. And this is, uh, according to the the uh, the. the Reuters reporters, and by the way, Reuters is rated as one of the most neutral of all the uh, news reporting agencies. I'm not sure if that is a, a, a great endorsement. At least it's an endorsement. And I read Reuters, and you know, I think it's landed a little bit, but that's just just my opinion. And it may be that the news stories that they report on and the people that are willing to talk to them are people who have an inherent bias. And we'll talk a little bit about the, this guy that they interviewed for this uh, later on in the show. His name is Bates Gill, and he is a quote-unquote expert on Chinese security policy, and he's at a university in Sydney, Australia, teaching down there. He's originally uh, a United States boy, and I think he was at the uh, Wharton School of Business, and uh, I'll look at his CV later. Uh, but... The problem is, from our point of view, from the United States point of view, is that we have gotten China to the point where they're economically able to sustain themselves. They don't need us to take care of them anymore. And we have been doing that. And so the president, I think, rightfully has said, it's time to cut them loose. And that means that we need an equal trade situation and not a most favored nation trade situation where they impose tariffs and we don't. So we're imposing tariffs, and they're imposing tariffs. And so all of this has come, even though there have been disagreements over the South China Sea, uh, the ongoing rift over Taiwan, our backing of the democratic movement in Hong Kong, uh, our push for more Internet freedom within China. And, you know, you would think that President Xi would be more concerned about his economy than about whether or not Facebook is going to call him a nanny nanny boo boo. But there's a lot of fear within the Communist Party that they will lose power. They're so rich. They have so much. They've taken such a huge advantage of their position as the intelligentsia and the leadership of that country as it has become uh, increasingly a private enterprise uh, country, and they have they own so much. I don't, I, you know, who cares? Take your money, go on vacation, homeboy. All right. So all these things, and here we still have the trade agreement, which Trump negotiated. And you can say, well, it didn't address this and it didn't address that. Well, it's called Phase One. That means that you get it in pieces, as President Reagan said. A half a loaf is better than none. 
So if you go in and you're negotiating for the whole loaf of bread and you come out with a half, well, you know what? If you're hungry, it's better than nothing. So while the initial deal diffuses an 18-month uh, disagreement uh, that apparently, according to Reuters, has hit global growth, I don't know if it's hit global growth, it's certainly hit Chinese growth, you know, they're, they've slowed down uh, tremendously. Experts say it is unlikely to provide much balm, much soothing for broader frictions rooted in U.S. fears over an economically, this isn't me, this is the article, economically and technologically powerful China with a modernizing military. Okay. Well, what's new there? What do you, what do you not make a trade deal? Do you stop doing business? You know, rather than saying, hey, the guy did a good thing, they're saying, well, we're not sure that this is going to make any difference and that we see phase one as an emergency treatment to lower the temperature, but it does not address the fundamental problem, said Wang Hung, a professor at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, who also studies the Chinese-U.S. economic relationship. Okay, all right, so how do you want us to address it? Do you want us to say, well, China, you know, you guys go ahead and just reabsorb Hong Kong into your mainland uh, model of, of uh, monolithic, one-party, fascist, socialist, whatever it is, and uh, we'll give you Taiwan back, whether the Taiwanese want it or not, and we'll stop selling them weapons to defend themselves against you, and now we can all be peaceful and happy. Do you think that's going to solve the problem? Do you think the Chinese are going to say, oh, okay, now the Americans are being nice, so we'll be nice, and we'll take our ships out of the South China Sea. This is a 2,000-year policy of the Chinese to control the South China Sea. You think they're going to change because we make some concessions? No. Do you think they came to the bargaining table because we made concessions? No. They came to the bargaining table because we said, look, you got a big problem. Taiwan's not coming back to you, not until you change fundamentally. Hong Kong is going to continue to receive our support and their democratic push. We're going to continue to bombard your country with Radio Free America, uh, with Facebook, with all of the other avenues of communication that we have at hand, and make sure that your people understand that there's a wider world out there, and they're gradually understanding that. And we're saying, we don't want to see you hurt economically, but we want you to understand that we are no longer willing to carry you on our back. And the president is perfectly right about this. Whether you like Trump or you don't, whether you like his, his big mouth or you don't, what he's doing in the world of trade is helping the United States. It's forcing the rest of the world to take a second look at the relationship it has with us, and it's forcing the rest of the world to... Uh, take uh, a moment, a pause, and and say, well, you know, maybe the Americans really have done enough for now. Maybe we all need to step up and do more and make sure that it's an equal partnership. You got that right, homeboy. The United States, Mexico, and Canada with the new trade agreement are about the same size as the European Union population-wise, much larger land-wise, that's for sure. So how come the Europeans aren't pulling their weight? Well, let's make them. So the Trump administration has put the telecom giant Huawei on a trade blacklist. We've banned the uh, some of the companies from buying 
uh, U.S. government uh, high-tech equipment without our approval. Uh, we've crimped the export of artificial intelligence software. And by the way, we are doing a lot of that. And we're tightening rules for the security of foreign investments that go into the United States. And we have cut the amount of a Chinese foreign direct investment into the United States by 90%, by 90%. It's 1.9 billion in 2019, down from its peak in 2016, which was almost uh, 10 times what it is now. And that's something that Americans on both the left and the right have been saying for a long time that they're worried about is that the Chinese are buying up the United States. And I think that we have every right to limit the amount of income or the amount of investment that comes into our country. And this is a, a big part of the, uh, of the uh, uh, trade agreement, the phase one that the president has negotiated. And if you don't think that's a good idea to limit foreign investment from a country that is at odds with us on a number of major geopolitical and economic issues, then you ain't thinking. Get your thinking cap on. The more investment they have in the United States, the more power they have over our system because our system runs on money. It's a free enterprise system. So we're working hard to ensure that we have an equitable trade agreement and by the way, the hog farmers, and you may say, I don't care about the hog farmers. I'm a vegan. Um, you know, I don't want, I'm a PETA person. And that's fine. You know, I'm, I don't eat meat either. But the hog farmers, economically, it's a big deal for them. The market has been opened up. It helps our farmers. It helps a, a large segment of our economy because our economy, a large segment of it is still agricultural. A large segment of what we sell to the world and foreign trade and to keep the trade balance is agricultural goods and commodities. And U.S. Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy said last week that China will, will emerge as America's strategic threat. And the, the United States plan to deploy two task force to the Pacific over the next two years to counter the, uh, the influence of the Chinese in the South China Sea and in the Western Pacific and that these task force will be capable of gathering information, electronic, cyber, and missile operations against Beijing. Just a little, you know, knock on the door to let them know, hey, we're right here, and the world is not as big as you think it is. It's pretty small, and we can reach out and touch you anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And I think that the assassination of Soleimani is a perfect example of that. And uh, I think that the Iranian leaders, for all of their big talk, are backing down and realizing that, hey, <laughs> they can be reached out and touched. We can bring that, down that regime in one night. In one night, we can destroy their whole military infrastructure. And that would be the end of the regime. But we don't want to do that because we don't want to throw Iran into economic and political chaos. We want to see a healthy evolution of their system, and we want to see the same thing for China. And you can't go in and hit somebody over the head with a, with a 
baseball bat two or three times and then say, you ready to negotiate? It doesn't work that way. You have to go in and tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, um, you know, look, if you don't do this, we're not going to do that. Or if you do this, we're going to do that and see what we did over there and see how we can do this here and see how your economy is tanked over the past 18 months because of what we have done with our tariffs that we have imposed on your goods. And believe me, I understand that I just paid $1,500 for a sign I bought from China. That's okay. I don't mind. I mean, you know, I, I think it's only fair. I still got it cheaper than in the United States. But nevertheless, there's some equity now in all of this. And so when I come back from break, I want to talk about this guy, Gills. It's, it's interesting. And, and he may be perfectly legitimate. I don't know. But we'll look at it and see. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, and I'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. The Iranian official leading the investigation into the accidental shootdown of a Ukrainian jetliner appeared to backtrack on plans to send the flight data recorders abroad for analysis. The official was quoted today by state-run media as saying no decision has been taken to send the black boxes out of country. That comes the day after he was quoted as saying it would be sent to Ukraine. Clashes broke out between protesters and police in Hong Kong this morning, cutting short a rally after thousands had gathered at a park to call for electoral reforms and a boycott of the Chinese Communist Party. Police fired tear gas near the park after some protesters attacked plainclothes officers. And Philippines officials say the government will no longer allow villagers to return to a crater-studded island where the erupting Tal volcano lies. One said living on the island would be like having a gun pointed at you. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. You pledged your life to serve, to make our country stronger, safer, more free, more equal. You worked tirelessly made sacrifices, missed first steps and birthdays, lost loved ones. At VA, we don't see the setbacks endured. We see lessons applied and passion driving you upward and forward. We don't see all the masks you wear, but we hope you can set some aside. We embrace your uniqueness and won't trivialize your past, your fears, or your hardships. We can't promise to heal all wounds or wash away all trauma, but we do see hope, a path forward, a future. We see all veterans. We see you. 
an opportunity to help you achieve a new mission, whatever that may be. Learn how treatment works and recovery is possible. Visit maketheconnection.net. Take AM860 The Answer with you wherever you go with our mobile app, theanswertampa.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at radio.com. Hi, this is Terrence Howard. Colorectal cancer is the second leading cancer killer, but you can prevent this disease. If you're 50 or older, get screened. Please do everything that you can to stay around for yourself and for your family. Screening saves lives. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Today, mainly cloudy with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm around late in the afternoon. High today, 75. For tonight, cloudy, and it will be cooler with a low, 47. Cool day tomorrow, intervals of clouds and sunshine with a Monday high, 62. Then a clear and chilly night, low tomorrow night, 41. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Kevin Snyder. For AM860, The Answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. We're at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. And uh, you, can, uh, you can give us a call and join the show if you want. <clears throat> Been talking about... Well, first we talked about strokes, and Ken said he thought he had had one, and apparently they took him away from his his uh, control duties and have replaced him with a robot named Ken. <laughs> Are you there, Ken? I am. I'm still here. I'm feeling Ken good. The, so feeling good Ken, today. Ken though, the robot. <laughs> <laughs> this is about ten years ago. I had some problems. No, I got that AFib that everybody hears about, and it's very treatable. I mean, if you think you've got it, go to the doctor because they've got some wonderful medicines that'll keep that in check. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's something that can lead to a stroke, and it can even have many strokes and and cause what we call small vessel disease over a period of years. So, uh, go see your doctor. There are certain indications where you may need a blood thinner, a big gun blood thinner, uh, particularly if you're older, if you have an enlarged heart, if you're a woman, if you're diabetic, uh, if you've had prior strokes. There's a number of things that they can that we can look at, and and there are medications out there that we can give you and will help out with this. So uh, I, I think that uh, you're, you're very prescient in bringing that up, and I appreciate that. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit more about, I was talking about the, uh, about the uh, situation with, with China and the trade agreement that was negotiated and the, the naysayers and the boo-booers uh, about this trade agreement that Trump and his people have negotiated, and they're saying, oh, it doesn't really make that much difference in the long term. You know, how, how can you say that? It's already made a difference what he's done. I mean, this is just a bunch of baloney. But nevertheless, there are people like this guy, Gills, who is uh, a professor down at a, uh, a university in Australia, who are saying that you know, this isn't going to solve the fundamental underlying problems. Now, he has been part of, in the past, uh, this institute called, let me give you the name of this. I'm always suspect of anything with big names like this. It, it kind of reminds me of, uh, of uh, 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 the subterfuge that left-wing think tanks will hide under. So this is the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. Now, this this research institute, it's a think tank, and it was started in Stockholm, Sweden, by the 
the Swedish government, by the way, and is still funded heavily by the Swedish government. It was established in 1966. And Gil was part of this outfit for a while, uh, I think in, in the early 2000s to about 2011. And I'm sure he's a bright guy and he comes with a lot of credits and he's published a lot and uh, has done a lot of research. And so the Institute, the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, uh, is ranked among the top three non-United States worldwide think tanks. And think tanks are these groups of people who get together and, and they focus on a problem and investigate it and study it. And then they come up with recommendations and projections and governments rely heavily, heavily upon them and uh, industry relies upon them and so on and so forth. And of course, they still haven't figured out how to accurately predict whether or not there's going to be a hurricane and it's going to hit St. Petersburg, Florida. But We'll leave that to another group of, of researchers. So this is ranked am, am, among the top three, and it's ranked in, um, among the top three by the University of Pennsylvania Louder Institute. And the Louder Institute is a, a subdivision of the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania, very famous school of business. If you don't know your schools of business, Wharton is, is uh, right up there, number one or two, and that's where people who want to be on Wall Street or, or big uh, top 10 law firms or big businesses uh, that they go to get their, their degree and, and their MBA. So this is from a global go-to think tank report. Well, where did this peace organization, the Stockholm International Peace Research Organization, where did it come out of? Well, the prime minister of Sweden back in 1964 threw out the idea that we need to have a peace research institute to commemorate Sweden's 150 years of unbroken peace. Because according to the Swedes, they have not been in a war since 1805 or 1810, somewhere back in there. Last time they duked it out with the Russians and lost uh, a big chunk of the, uh, of the uh, Scandinavian peninsula, which was Sweden and uh, Finland and uh, uh, Norway, uh, the Finns, got their independence. Norway got its independence. And so they said, well, you know, we're such a, a great example of, of peace and love that why don't we Swedes start this institute? All right, that's fine with me. And they hold out that they, one of their calling cards as being a peaceful nation is that they haven't been involved in a major war or any war since 1805, 1810, whatever, way back when. 150 years of peace, good for you guys. And so they say, well, we weren't in World War I, we weren't in World War II. And by the way, if you go to Stockholm, it's really a beautiful city, and all the architecture from the 16th and 17th and 18th century is well-preserved, and uh, it's just a, a gleaming example of, of the European architecture uh, from the Renaissance forward. And, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. We rode bicycles all around downtown and uh, over the island where the castle is and all the government buildings. Really nice city, really beautiful. And you have to say one thing. They've been able to protect their city from the bombing and the devastation that occurred. And, uh, you know, kudos for that. So they think that they have some answers to how to live peacefully with their neighbors. Well, let me give you the inside scoop. During World War II, the Germans got most of their iron ore from Sweden, 
Sweden made a deal with the devil because they figured, well, if we don't sell them iron ore, they're just going to come in and take it anyway. And they also uh, allowed the Germans to use their railroad system to transport troops through Sweden up to Finland to reinforce their uh, troops that were fighting in uh, St. Petersburg, uh, Stalin, Leningrad back then. And uh, they also allowed the Germans to use their telecom system to transmit messages across Sweden to Norway, which the Germans had taken early on in the war because of fear that the Allies would take Norway. Uh, uh, there were a lot of strategic uh, questions going on, and the Swedes were right in the middle of it, and they said, okay, we don't want to be at war with any of these folks. Well, okay, well, they made a deal with the devil, and they helped them anyway. So were they out or in the war? Well, did they personally commit their national troops to the war? No, uh, they did not. But they did commit resources to help the Germans, perhaps in part because they had no other choice. Uh, otherwise, they would have been taken over. On the other hand, they intercepted messages that the Germans were sending from Germany to Norway on their electric wires, on their telephone and their their uh, cables and their different devices that were used to communicate, and they were intercepting this information, giving it to the Allies. They also broke the cipher machine code in 1940 and uh, discreetly gave messages to the Allies as well. And as well, Swedish businessmen were in Germany during the war doing business because they were selling iron ore and different things and negotiating agreements to use the Swedish railroad system and the Swedish telecom system and all these things. And you say, well, you know, they were playing both sides of the fence. Yeah. And uh, it kept them out of the war. They made a deal with the devil, just like the, the Swiss did. The Swiss made a deal with the devil that they would uh, be the banker for the, uh, for the Nazis and uh, in return that they would not allow Jews to come into the country if they could help it. And then the Nazis, the Germans, wouldn't invade Switzerland. And they had discussed that. The Nazis had discussed that. So, so the, the peaceful Swedes, and they're now welcoming in the religion of peace, the Muslims, uh, into their country en masse, who are, by the way, causing trouble as usual. They had this guy, Gills, working for them. And Gills purports to be an expert on Chinese American relationships and the economy. And Dr. Bates Gill served as uh, the director of this outfit from 2007 to 2012. And he even received a Medal of Honor from the, uh, from, from the Swedes and was uh, you know, noted for his great work in this field. I have no problem with peace. I'm all for it. But peace comes through strength. And over and over again, over my lifetime, I've watched several presidents struggle with this. And ultimately, the ones who accomplish the most, both for domestic economy and policy, as well as for foreign relationships, are those who deal from a position of strength. And to say that 
you're going to be respected by belligerent countries like Iran, uh, potentially belligerent countries like China, uh, belligerent countries like Russia. By being weak, then you're you, you haven't ever been in a fight. <laughs> you're you're not out there in the real world, guys. And and I think that we have to continue to explore ways of of uh, obtaining and uh, uh, instilling peace into the world because it's getting smaller and smaller and and uh, more and more armed. But also think at the same time that we have to have something in our hip pocket, have a pistol and say, look, uh, you know, we're going to work as best we can with you on issues like armament and disarmament, conflict and peace, peace and development, and research areas that the Peace Institute, the Stockholm Peace Institute, looks at are arms transfers and military expenditures. That's great. And go ahead and look at us. We don't mind. Disarmament, arms control, and nonproliferation. How you guys doing with uh, the Iranians? Were you were you for the the Iran contra the Iran deal, or were you uh, that Obama pushed through, or were you against it? These are things we need to know. It was a bad deal, and uh, it just continued to allow the Iranians to create havoc and and wreak uh, terrorism throughout the Middle East and the world. Dual use and arms trading control, emerging military and security technologies, European security, China and Asia security, Russia and Euro-Eurasian security, Africa, governance and society, climate change and risk, gender, peace and security. Wait a minute. How do we go from peace and security and arms and emerging military and security technologies to climate change and risk? and to gender, peace, and security. Are we fighting a war over gender? Has a war been declared? I don't know. Ken, did you hear of anything? Did I miss something? I must have been sleeping that day. I didn't hear it, no. I don't know what happened. I must have missed that one, Doc. (laughs) (laughs) I must have been sleeping. Yeah. I didn't know there was a war concerned about gender, peace, and security. News to me, buddy. News to me. News to me. So within these fields of study, workshop, conferences, seminars, lectures, etc. So Bates Gill, cool name. I like that name. Bates Gill. He's been involved in all of this and he's been a big man. And this is who Reuters has been asking for information in order to put out this report, this article that the new trade deal that the president has negotiated is no no panacea and is not going to solve the U.S.-Chinese differences. Um, well, where do you start? <laughs> do you just ignore it and hope it goes away? It ain't going away, going away. I mean, do you continue on in the same path you were on, which is just allowing the Chinese to become stronger and stronger? And, and you can say, well, American exceptionalism is a myth. No, it's not. It is not. I've been to China. The Chinese want what we have. The Chinese, Chinese people are hungry for the American way of life, for our form of our style of democracy. And the more they learn about it, the more they want it. Right now, they're content because economically they're doing all right. 
But you push them into a little bit of a recession, you're going to see a different story, just as we're seeing a different story in Iran and this nonsense about how killing Soleimani united the Iranian people uh, is nothing but garbage. They were extremely divided. They're even more divided now. And the more we squeeze them economically, the quicker that regime will fall. And that is our place. It is our place to make the world safe for democracy. And not just any style of democracy, but American-style democracy. Yes, we accept uh, the parliamentary forms of democracy as uh, brothers and sisters in the Democratic uh, League of, of Nations. But we also want to ensure that the world understands our style of democracy, and if they like it, adopt it. A lot of the democracies, as we know, have evolved from constitutional monarchies. And so they've evolved into parliamentary democracies, where there's basically one branch of government, the legislature, and that controls the executive and the judicial. And uh, we would hope, and, and this is what Congress would like to see, too, they would like to see one branch of government, the legislative, in our own country. And that's why they're going after Trump, because he's a strong executive. They don't like it. And they like it even less because he doesn't agree with them and their policies. But it's our job to try to continue to push these countries that are not democratic countries, that do not allow their people the freedom that we do. And of course, it's not absolute. There's no such thing as absolute freedom. You know, you can't run naked down the street throwing dynamite sticks left and right everywhere. Found that out the hard way. Yeah, I found that. I'm telling you, they took my my they took my dynamite away, and they didn't even give me any clothes. I don't know what's up with these people. By the way, one of my patients from Canada wanted to know how to negotiate with the hospital on a self pay bill. I said, go up here to AutoZone and get some of those roadside flares that look like dynamite sticks, <laughs> and strap it around you, and hook a wire to it, and then get a little press button, hook that, and go in and talk to them very nicely. Of course, that's just a joke now, isn't it, Doc? That's just a joke. That's, that's right. That's, that's just, just a, joke. a joke. We're not we recommending really that. that in any way, shape, or form. No, that we dis I disavow any knowledge of that. And when I was talking with Zelensky, I didn't say anything about roadside flares. <laughs> so I want everybody to understand that. And now the president, love him, hate him, uh, sick of him. You don't like him because he's blonde. You don't like him because he's got a big mouth, or you love him because he's saying what you want or don't want. Who cares? Who cares? We want results. We're getting them. And so Iran is crumbling. China is quivering. And the world is looking at us and saying, what do we do next? Well, we're going to tell you exactly what to do. We're telling you every day in the tweets that the president sends out. And by the way, the indictment of the president by the Democrats, the, uh, the impeachment, they're not impeaching the president of the United States. They're impeaching you and me. He is our man. We put him there. He works for us. He represents what we stand for and what we believe in. And they're not out to get him. They're out to get you and me. He just happens to be in their way. Don't forget what we were called in the last election by Hillary, the basket of deplorables. And you know what? I'm extremely proud of being a, a deplorable. I, I got to tell you that uh, as a semi-educated humanoid, who came here from another planet to keep an eye on you guys and see what you're up to, that I don't mind being called a deplorable. I am deplorable. I do terrible things like treat sick people, uh, 
talk about freedom and democracy, push for world peace, uh, tell you to go get your flu shot, uh, take care of Canadians, take care of Americans, take care of anybody and everybody who needs some help, when I can, of course, and of course, take care of Her Highness, the little queen of the household here. And also Ken, who is having problems, having strokes as he sits there at his, at his desk. And Ken, I don't want you to have any more strokes while we're on the air. <laughs>